0: what are the finer things in life? Usually when we think of the finer things in life, we're thinking of the things of, of highest quality, right? The kind of things that Robin Leach might have on the lifestyles of the rich and famous. You know, California, swimming pools, movie stars. We have an idea of what the finer things are, right? Even from a distance, we can feel and understand a little bit of the finer things in life. It might be a rare painting and. An art gallery. It might be fresh lobster flown in from Maine. It might be rich Corinthian leather. Come on, that's a little bit funny. If you ever saw the commercial, Ricardo Montalban. It's pretty bad when you have to explain your jokes, right? Might be a two hundred and one inch TV might be a diamond necklace or Kobe beef, a luxury sports car, might be a cashmere sweater, or it could even be, when we think of the finer things in life, a little bit of figgy pudding. Now, for us, most of the time, when we think of figgy pudding, we're just recognizing it as part of a carol. We wish you a Merry Christmas. But back in the day, figgy pudding was a delicacy. The carol has its roots all the way back in the 1500s, but in the 1800s, the ingredients that were necessary for figgy pudding were kind of expensive. They were pricey. And so it's supposed that what would happen is the wealthiest people in England in the 1800s, they would find a way to have these figgy puddings prepared. And then if carolers came by, they would give the carolers some figgy pudding. And so at least once... In the time of life, figgy pudding was kind of one of the finer things in life. Christmas time is when we hear a lot about the finer things in life, right? There's folks out there looking for the newest and the best electronic. They're looking for the best new tech idea. They're looking for the best toy that's out there. They're looking for that thing to either give or maybe even get for themselves. In fact, at the holiday time, a lot of the marketing is is geared toward that old adage. Hey, what do you get for the person that has everything? Well, you get this right here, and then they show you the product. But are the finer things in life really all they're cracked up to be? Chris Wadner is a businessman, a speaker, an author. He writes, there is only one possible pitfall that I have found in the pursuit of the finer things in life we often become so ingrained, so focused in the pursuit that we do not experience the finest things in life. What are the finest things in life? Well, it might be a little different for each one of us. If you're a beach person, then the finest things in life will include a a sunny summer day and, and waves trickling over your feet in the sand. If you're a mountain person, then the finest things in life might include watching the leaves change in the fall or or standing next to a, a trickling mountain creek. If you're a family person, then the finest things in life will be your family members trickling into your home on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and all of them happy and healthy. In other words, the finest things in life can't necessarily be put under a tree or stuffed into a stocking. They're a little bit more special than just that. Widener goes on to say this. Sometimes the finer things of life get in the way of the finest things in life. So there's fine, there's finer, and there's finest. There's good, there's better, and there's best. So what is the best? What is the finest thing you can have in your life? Or maybe put it another way, what is the finest thing? Christmas gift you could have? Well, King David's going to help us answer those questions. Listen to what he says in Psalm 19, verse 10. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. What are they? What is he talking about? Well, David's been writing about the truth of God. And the truth of God is so incredible that he's been able to describe it in a lot of different ways. In his writing, he's described it as the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. He's described God's truth in all these ways. And for David, practically and historically speaking, those words would describe the first few books of the Bible. And for us, practically speaking, because the first few books of the Bible are kind of the written seed for all the other books of the Bible, then we would say that all that we find in the Old and the New Testaments would be the truth of God to us, would be God's Word. And so this wealthy king, think about David. If you were to look in his kingdom, the one person that knew about the finer things better than anybody else would be David. And he says that the Word of God is more valuable than fine gold. In history, long before gold was considered a a standard for money and currency, gold had a tremendous value in the ancient world. David is using a word here that everybody would have understood. Nobody would have been thinking, oh, what's gold? I don't don't know what that is. They would know that gold was the finest of the fine. They would know that gold was the ultimate. And wealthy, powerful King David says that that the word of God is more valuable than gold. He says it's more desirable than gold. If I were to put that in our language, he's saying the Bible is more desirable than gold. And that might sound a little weird to our minds. Let's do a little compare and contrast. Imagine little five-year-old Jimmy wakes up on Christmas morning, takes his stocking, dumps it out, and he has a one-ounce bar of gold in his stocking, and he has a one-ounce bar of chocolate. Do you think little Jimmy is going to take the chocolate, toss it over to his little sister, pick up the bar of gold, look at his parents and say, this is so exciting, I just looked this up this morning and this ounce of gold, it's worth $1,100 and 20 cents. this great, mom? Isn't this great, dad? I'm thinking he's probably not going to do that. No, he's probably going to tear into the chocolate. and He's going to toss the gold bar over to his little sister because he's thinking, well, that's not supposed to be in my stocking. It's probably come some kind of shiny doormat that goes with her Malibu Barbie beach house. There's no way that's supposed to be in there for me. That's, that's, that's somebody else's. But that little bar of gold, $1, $1,100.20, I mean, that's, that's not chump change, right? I mean, that's, that's valuable. So that little bar of gold would be a finer thing in life. All right, let's change up the scenario a little bit. Little Jimmy grabs a stocking. He dumps it out. He's got a, a bar of chocolate, and he has a little tiny pocket Bible. Now, do you think that little Jimmy is going to take that chocolate, toss it over to his sister, pick up that little pocket Bible, turn to his parents and say, Mom, Dad, this little book has the eternal words of life that that my heart is so hungry for. I mean, unless he's the next Billy Graham, I'm thinking he probably wouldn't do that, right? He'd probably smile at the Bible and then tear into the chocolate. And that's not a knock on Jimmy. It's just that he may not be able to look and understand that the bar of chocolate is a fine gift, but that the Bible is the finest gift. And let's take it away from little Jimmy and bring it to us. If you lived in a time in a place where Bibles were rare and it was very hard to get one and you had the means to get one, would you pay $1,100.20 for a Bible? How much do you value the Word of God? What value do you put on God's truth? Wealthy, powerful King David, in writing to his people, really in writing to us, he says that the Word of God is more valuable and more desirable than the finest of gold. Rich Cather shares a parable about a man walking out in the desert. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice as he's walking. And this is what the voice says to him. Pick up some pebbles and put them in your pocket, and tomorrow you will be both sorry and glad. Well, God didn't know what to do, so he picked up a few pebbles, put them in his pocket, went about his way. The next morning he woke up, put his hands in his pocket, and all of those pebbles had turned into diamonds and rubies and emeralds. And just like the voice told him, he was glad and he was sorry. He was glad that he had put some of the pebbles in his pocket, but he was so sorry that he hadn't gotten more because they were of great value. Rich Cathers writes, And so it is with God's Word. We can get sidetracked by stuff, by money, by things. We've got the best treasure right in our hands. And why would he say that? Why why is the Bible so valuable? Why is the Bible such a treasure? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The strength and the finest beauty and the finest power the finest authority, the finest wealth in this world will one day wither and fall off and fade. But the word of the Lord will endure forever. The finest Christmas present that you might get this year might break, or you might have to exchange it, or eventually it may end up at a thrift store years down the road. But the word of the Lord will endure forever the finest ruler the finest politician the finest businessman the finest coach the finest pastor the most ruthless dictator will one day come to term limits will one day have their reign ended will one day be fired or they will die but the word of the lord will endure forever That's why what we read in the Bible is so valuable. Because it's not just words on a page. There are everlasting guarantees behind those words. But how do we know that's true? How do we know that these are real guarantees? Well, in verses 1 through 6, we looked at just a couple of months ago. It's this picture of David talking about the things that God made. And he says that you can look at creation and know that God exists and see the glory of God. This is how Paul told the Roman church, Romans 1 verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse." In other words, it takes an extreme amount of religious faith to say that everything in the world just happened by chance. That just, boom, it was there. It's been noticed, noted, noted that scientists have discovered there is a very sophisticated genetic language that is necessary for even the simplest forms of life to exist. That sophisticated genetic language would not move us to say, well, all of this is just chance. It just all just happened and then everything's been going since. In fact, it wouldn't even be to to say, oh, it's just like a clock and and it's been wound up and, and everything's been fine. No, that sophisticated genetic language, which is creating and recreating and doing work all the time, the most logical way to approach the universe and the earth and the world and the humanity because of that sophisticated genetic language would be to say, there's a designer, there's a creator. And he's alive because there's still so much life going on. And the Bible says that that designer, that creator, is the same Lord that David's writing about, one and the same. And so the Bible and the Word of God, they have everlasting guarantees, and we can trust those guarantees because they've been made by the one true God who has created and owns all of the universe. But some people would say, well, I don't believe in God. I don't even think God exists. So, I mean, the Bible, that's a nice book. But it's not a book that I would use for evidence. It's not a book that I would use for proof that God exists, much less that God's the creator and the owner of the universe. James Anderson is a professor of theology and philosophy. He shares a bit about his transition across the pond. He writes, Soon after I relocated from Britain to the United States, I had to visit the local Social Security Administration office to apply for a Social Security number. The nice lady behind the counter required me to prove several things, so I showed her some documentation, including my British passport, my work visa, my immigration card, and a letter from my employer. But had I really proven anything to her? It is logically possible that the documents were elaborate forgeries. But how reasonable would it have been for her to demand more rigorous proof? Should I have eliminated every logical possibility that would undermine or contradict my claim, including the possibility that I was using a Jedi mind trick or that she was actually in a dream? In other words, what he's saying is this, is that even if you can take the Bible and you can prove to a person that God exists based on the truth found in in the pages of the Bible, they might still say, no. No, I still don't believe. No, there's, there's no way he's the creator and designer of the universe. Even if we could prove with the Bible, some will still say no. And what that means is this. It means that they will not allow for some things it means that they will not consider some things they would push back they would say the Bible might be a nice book but I'm not going to be using it as my authority for what I believe about the world Jesus was talking with his friends one day and he said hey what is everybody saying about me around town and they said "Oh, the opinions are all over the place Jesus Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're Jeremiah or maybe one of the other prophets. And then Jesus looked at his friends. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up, not just speaking on behalf of himself, but but really speaking for all of the disciples. And this is what he said. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon. Simon. Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, in a sense, what Peter's saying is this. Jesus, you know, we considered that you were one of those guys. We we really have. We've been kind of trying to figure some of this out ourselves, but, but the math, it just didn't work. We knew you were other than them. We knew you were different. And see, Peter and the disciples, even for all that they were seeing, they weren't able to see that on their own. The Holy Spirit was helping them to see. If you're going to believe that the Word of God, that the words contained in the Bible are more desirable than gold, the only way that can happen is for the Holy Spirit to help you see that value in God's Word and for the Holy Spirit to start changing Your desires. In her book, Not God's Type, Dr. Holly Ordway writes this I had never in my life said a prayer, never been to a church service. Christmas meant presents and Easter meant chocolate, nothing more. At 31 years old, I was an atheist college professor and I delighted in thinking of myself that way. And then she started reading the Bible. Not because she was curious, but because she she really kind of wanted to know what it was she didn't believe in so that she could use it in conversation. But something happened as she started reading the Bible. She goes on to say this, I read through the gospel narratives again, trying to take in what they said. I had to admit that even apart from everything else I had learned, I recognized they were fact, not story. I'd been steeped in folklore, fantasy, legend, and myth ever since I was a child. I had studied these literary genres as an adult. I knew their cadences, their flavor, and their rhythm. None of these stylistic fingerprints appeared in the New Testament books that I was reading. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was was giving her new eyes. The desires of her ears and her heart and her mind, they were changing. She goes on to say this, The Gospels had the ineffable texture of history with all the odd clarity of detail that comes when the author is recounting something so huge that even as he tells it, he doesn't see all the implications. I love that. It's so big, it's so huge you can't even really get it you can't grasp it and that's exactly why david wrote what he wrote he said this word from god it is better than the finest of gold it is more precious than the finest of gold because you see gold can be measured go online look up how much it cost this morning how much it changed from last night to this morning but you can't measure the glory of god it is too great it is too awesome it is too astounding and too incredible and so when you're reading the bible part of reading the bible and seeing the bible and understanding the bible and enjoying the bible is that as you're reading and seeing and enjoying and understanding you realize i can't get this it's just too much this, this God, he is real, he is astounding, he is amazing, he is wonderful, he is incredible. And that God came here in a manger. David says, this story, this, this truth, it is more precious and more desirable than gold. You know the other little line of we wish you a Merry Christmas that we sing? goes like this. Good tidings we bring to you and your kin. Good tidings for Christmas and a happy new year. See, here's the thing about the Word of God. The good tidings of the Word of God are not just for Christmas. The good tidings of the Word of God, they're not just for a new year. The good tidings of the Word of God, they endure forever. And so they're for Christmas, and they're for New Year, and they're for Arbor Day, and they're for Groundhog Day, and they're for your birthday and your anniversary. They're for the day of your birth. They're for the day of your death. And they're forever and ever and ever and ever. They are valuable beyond anything you could possibly go buy at the mall today. They are valuable. God's Word endures forever. Wealthy, rich. Powerful King David. He said, You know what? You won't find anything more valuable than God's word. But that's not all he says. Next part of verse 10. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This isn't really little Jimmy's stocking, but do another little Christmas comparison here. Pound cake? Very good. Very good. Italian cream cake? Yeah, ooh. It, a lot better, okay? 21-layer chocolate cake? Probably the best. I mean, I'm just taking a stab, but probably is at least going to be in the top two. We have good, we have better, we have best. We have fine, we have finer, and we have the finest. Even if you're not a sweets person, you understand, you know that that some sweets are just sweeter than others. listen. Hershey, Pennsylvania didn't officially exist when David was writing this. There wasn't a candy store in Jerusalem where you could go and get sugar plums and and spice drops and and everlasting gobstoppers. That's not something you could just pick up there. No, the sweetest thing, in fact, there was no comparison, was honey. It was the sweetest thing that anybody could have, the sweetest taste that anyone knew about. And so just like with gold, David uses a word that everybody would understand. It wouldn't be a confusing word to anybody. Imagine a family about 500 years before Jesus is born. And the father sits them down at nighttime for nighttime devotions. And he begins to recite to them the words of Psalm 19. And he tells his kids, he says, this is King David who wrote this. He wrote these words. And they went, oh, we, we know King David. I mean, he's, he's one of the greatest kings ever. They wouldn't be confused about who David was. And then little five-year-old Jacob, he's listening to his dad recite these words from Psalm 19, and, and he hears the word honey. And he goes, honey, what's that? I don't know what that is. No, that's not what he'd say. Little five-year-old Jacob, his ears would perk up. Honey, you, you mean the Honey, the, the honey that I've heard about, that's this the sweetest thing in the world, the, the honey that it seems like only the kids at the palace get, that's the honey you're talking about? And then he would hear his dad say that the great King David said that the word of God is sweeter than honey, that it is more precious and more valuable than the sweetest thing that little Jacob had ever heard of. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, family, friends, anybody I've left out. A little question for us that might hurt our feelings a little bit, but that's okay. When your kids and your grandkids and your nieces and your nephews and, and your brothers and your sisters and the kids at at church and the kids in the neighborhood or the kids in the in the line at store. When they hear the words of your mouth, when they see the way you live, do, do they feel and see and hear that you believe that the word of God, the truth of God, is sweeter than honey? Do they hear you say that it is sweeter than the most popular Christmas toys? They hear you say it's, it's sweeter than the, the newest video game console. That it's sweeter than the largest screen TV in the store when you walk in. That it's sweeter than the most tricked out truck on the lot at the dealer. That it's sweeter than the trendiest fashion at the hippest store in the mall. That it's sweeter than the most popular science fiction movie in the theaters. I know. Pastor Scrooge, I got it. I realize None of those things are bad they're not. But I ask those questions to ask this question. Do we really agree with David? I mean, do we really agree with David? When we look at our lives, do, do we talk like we agree with David, that the Word of God is, is the most valuable and desirable thing in the universe? Do we, do we spend our money like we agree with David? Do our Christmas habits Reflect that we agree with David. This week, Queen Elizabeth will give her annual Christmas broadcasts. At her coronation 62 years ago, the Archbishop of Canterbury presented her a Bible during the ceremony. And this is what he said as he presented the Bible to her. Our gracious Queen to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Why? Why is the word of God the most valuable thing this world affords? Well, the reason why is because only the Bible gives us this truth. This truth that our souls want more than anything, even if we don't know we want it. This truth that satisfies the deepest parts of our existence and gives us hope on the worst Christmas. Gives us hope in the most tragic brings us joy and helps us feel love and helps us know there's a divine smile at the worst time of life. And that truth sounds a little bit like this. Unto you, a child will be given. Unto you, a son is born and the government will be on his shoulders and there will be no end To his reign. There will be no end to the peace that he brings. And he will be oppressed. And he will be afflicted. And he will be beaten. And he will be crushed for your sin. He will be pierced through for your iniquity. But unto you, a child will be born. Unto you a a savior is given. It's the word of God now in flesh appearing. His name is Wonderful Counselor. His name is Mighty God. His name is Everlasting Father. His name is Prince of Peace. He is finer than the finest gold in the universe. He is sweeter than the sweetest honey in all the land and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. First and most, above all things, oh come, oh come, oh come. Let us adore him, Christ the Lord.